You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. I hope that you are having a good evening. This is Happy Tuesday. And I want to welcome you to the Theology Mom podcast. And I hope that by God's grace, you and your family are staying well. But I do want to say thank you for joining me for the live stream. And I'm excited to continue our current teaching series. This is part three in the series that I've entitled uh, The End of the Story. What does the Bible say about the end of the world? And I, you know, I will readily admit that most of the time when this topic is covered, um, when there's teachings that focus on the end of the world, there really a lot of attention is spent nailing down things like the timing of the rapture or trying to identify the Antichrist and that kind of a thing. I have been tackling this topic a little differently than that. Instead, we've been focusing on retelling the story of the entire Bible so that we can understand how the end of the story fits into the broader context and weaves us back to the beginning of the story. Um, so in order to talk about the end, I felt like we needed to actually start at the beginning so we can understand how the end connects to the beginning. So uh, I've entitled tonight's teaching, The New Heavens and the New Earth. And we are going to outline the five beliefs that Christians have historically believed are the essentials of the faith when it comes to the end of the world. And I really want to focus on building the case for genuine Christian unity when it comes to this topic, because so often we start with all of our differences and disagreements. So I want to start by building a strong foundation of what Christians ought to agree on. Let's begin tonight's conversation with a brief overview of what we covered last time. Uh, We started off by saying that this teaching series is basically an outline of the Christian story of reality and that that story began in eternity past where the eternal triune God and the creator of all things exists in the spirit realm along with the angels and the demons uh, that are also in the spirit realm and the eternal state. Now, at some point in the past, God created the heavens and the earth And all the three dimensions of space, one dimension of time, we're going to call that the physical realm. Sometimes we've called it the visible world. And so these are the two realms that um, are in play in scripture. Uh, And then about 2000 years ago, God, the son, the second person of the Holy Trinity entered into his creation. He came from the invisible realm into the visible realm and was born as a human baby. In other words, uh, Jesus came into this realm and we call this the incarnation. And so if we could get back in a time machine, go back in time to the first century, we could walk around with Jesus, walk and talk with him. And um, it was God in the flesh coming into the visible world. So that's a really good place to set the stage for tonight by rereading a few verses from Hebrews chapter one, 
Um, we'll start at the first verse. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So at the coming of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension, he has inaugurated the kingdom of God. He is ruling and reigning from his throne in heaven, seated at the right hand of the father. His kingdom will not be fully realized until he comes again. But these last days were inaugurated when Jesus came. And so we call this period that we are living in right now, the now and the not yet. So we're living in this, this, this age between this present age is waning and the age to come is dawning. And that dawn started when Jesus came the first time and the waning of this present age started when Jesus came the first time. And so now we're in that, that meaty middle while we're waiting for Jesus's king to, kingdom to be fully realized. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Christians mean when we say we believe in the good news of the gospel. It is this. It's through the cross and the resurrection, the Messiah, that God the Father promised. He has come. He entered into this physical world. He has crushed the head of the devil. He has conquered death through his resurrection. He is ruling and reigning right now through um, at the right hand of the Father, sitting in heaven. So right now, we are living in that in-between time. We called this last time, I, I compared this to D-Day and V-E Day. On D-Day was the day that the Allied forces entered into France and began to push Germany back in World War II. That was the beginning of the end of the war. Jesus' appearance was the beginning of the end of this present age. But the war wasn't fully won against Hitler until Victory in Europe Day. That's VE Day. And, and that's where we are. We're in that in-between time. Jesus has come. The beginning of the end has started. The devil is technically defeated, and he knows it, but he's biding his time just like Hitler did at the very end until Jesus, Jesus, the full um, majesty of his kingdom and, and until he comes again is revealed. So now we're going to skip ahead in our timeline to the closing events for this creation. We're going to look at that transition mark uh, to the, the age to come. And so in this sense, we need to understand that the phrase, the end of the world, is a bit of a misnomer because from God's point of view, again, the last days began with the coming of Jesus. The events that we often call the end of the world would probably be more accurately described as the events that transition us from this age to the age to come or the transition events from this creation to the new creation. That's what people often call the end of the world events, but it's really not the end of everything. 
it's just those transitionary events um, between this age and the age to come. So what I'm going to do tonight is, again, talk about these five events that will transition us between these two ages. And these are the events that I think all historic Christians ought to agree on when it comes to a discussion about the final stages of this creation, this earth, and that will bridge us into the new creation. I like to call this um, a mere eschatology approach. And I'm borrowing this phraseology from my friend and fellow theologian, Ken Samples. It's kind of patterned after C.S. Lewis's um, mere Christianity approach. And, And as I do this, I'm going to use the events listed in the Apostles' Creed um, as the foundation for our unity as Christians, because this is the Apostles' Creed is the oldest summary of our faith outside of the creeds that are in the Bible, and this will be the framework for my remarks in this teaching. So with all that groundwork in place, let's get into it here. Let's look at number one. The first thing that I think Christians ought to agree on is that uh, Christians ought to expect tribulation and persecution into this creation. And as we said in part two of this teaching series, because we are living in the now and the not yet, that in-between part, Jesus has established his kingdom. He's inaugurated his kingdom, but it's not fully manifested yet. Okay. So it was the beginning of the end. That's where we are. So Victory is sure, but it doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty. Jesus tells his disciples quite explicitly that they should expect hard times as they go out to preach the gospel. So if we go back to our example for a second of living between D-Day and VE Day, we might think of people like Anne Frank and her family. They were actually tracking the Allies' progress toward Berlin on a map. And you can see it in the place where they, where they were hiding. And they were hoping that the Allied forces would make it to Berlin before they were found by the Nazis. Unfortunately, almost all the members of Anne Frank's family were killed in the Holocaust as the Allied troops were coming toward Berlin. Similar story with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He died just weeks before the Allied forces arrived in his city. So we know that evil still happens while we are living in the now and the not yet. Evil happens. um, Death happens. People get sick. All of these things are part of living in this present age. But we know that victory is sure. Okay. So in John 16, right before he goes to the cross, Jesus tells his disciples in this world, you all have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's look at Matthew 24 for a few more of Jesus' words along this line. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. He records Jesus' words this way. I'm sorry, Luke 21. But before this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues 
put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. So you will bear testimony to me. So as we, as we continue to read after the gospels, we come to the book of Acts and we see these events played out in the book of Acts. Jesus's followers go out. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they quickly develop enemies with those who want to shut down teaching in Jesus' name. Um, They want to shut down the message that all are invited into the kingdom of God, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Everyone has the opportunity to come into this covenant relationship with the creator and savior of the universe. But when the early Christians saw what was happening, they rejoiced when the persecution came. They knew that because they were being persecuted for the name, they felt that it was an, it was an honor for them. And this leads us to the critical focus of these ancient Christians when it came to thinking about how they ought to live in the tension of the now and the not yet. Romans chapter 6 says it this way, starting in verse 5, For we have been united with Jesus in death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has sin has been set. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot rise again. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all the life he lives. He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, so this is the therefore. So now here's how you ought to live. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So notice the contrast there. Don't give your body to become an instrument of wickedness. Rather give every part of yourself to become an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master as you are not under the law, but under grace. So this is how, God wants his people to live, that that sin not control us, that we would be focused on living a holy life. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think we're going to start at verse, at verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is explaining exactly what he means 
when he says, don't give your bodies over to be instruments of wickedness. Here's a list of what some of those things are. And this is what some of you were, it says in verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. In other words, you were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. If you could scroll down, Bob, there. There's a few more verses. Yeah. Of uh, starting at verse 18, I'll pick it up there. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So again, we see the body is very important in Christianity. Uh, we did a whole podcast about that with Nancy Piercy. Our bodies can be instruments of wickedness. Um, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And in, for the Christian, the body becomes the place where God dwells who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So as we're waiting for Jesus to come again, we ought to be living holy lives. We ought to be going out into all the earth, preaching the gospel, discipling the nations. And as we do that, we ought to expect persecution. We ought to expect people to hate us. But we also know the end of the story. We know how it turns out. Let's look at Revelation chapter 9 or chapter 7. Sorry. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7. Okay. What do you have next? Yeah. Okay. After this, I looked. So John is having a vision of heaven here. He says, before me was a great multitude, no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. They were wearing white robes, they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All right, scroll down a little bit. One of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So this is the picture that we get of the throne room of heaven. That we know the end of the story, that even though these faithful Christians, these martyrs, these ones who, who die because of their testimony for Jesus, they go to heaven. They go to their reward. They go to worship the lamb in the throne room. So we know the end of the story. Okay, so let's move on to number two. Our first big idea that we said that all Christians ought to be able to agree on is that we will be persecuted uh, for our faith. The second thing I think all Christians should be able to agree on is that Jesus will come again. This is probably the bedrock of Christian theology when it comes to any discussion about these transitional events from this age to the age to come. Jesus promised he would return in Acts chapter 1. Let's pick it up at the sixth verse. 
The disciples gathered around him. And they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They, they were thinking that Jesus was coming to build a physical kingdom. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the days or the times the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He said this, and he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. In the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What a powerful word of comfort. We also see this repeated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left. We caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So again, we see this, that this is really the pillar of, of what early Christians knew about the end times, is that Jesus was coming again and that this should be a word of comfort uh, to each other. So as they were pursuing holiness together, like we saw in the first point, um, they were also to encourage one another that Jesus would come again. All right, I'm going to skip. You can look up on your own in Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to keep things going here. That was another scripture I had prepared. Um, now, you might wonder, when will Jesus return? Well, we don't know that. As we saw in Acts chapter 1, uh, it is not for us to know that. God has not revealed that. So it would be probably um, the most correct thing to say is that we cannot know when Jesus is coming again. So we shouldn't focus on date setting. In fact, if, you, if you're following a pastor who's engaging in date setting, that's kind of a big red flag. Um because God has not chosen to share that information with us. It's part of what I call the secret things of God. But what we do know is that Jesus's return will be unexpected. In fact, in first Thessalonians chapter five, it characterizes it as being like a thief in the night in verse two. So that what we're supposed to get from that is that we're going to be living our lives. And then all of a sudden that thief in the night, Jesus will be coming again. So again, as we're waiting for Jesus' return, as we're, we're in that tension of the now and the not yet, we are to live our lives in a very particular way. We are to be sober-minded, hardworking, encouraging one another to live holy lives. 
but also living with that expectancy that Jesus' return will be like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. All right, so let's move on and consider the third event that I think all historic Christians should be able to agree on when it comes to the end of this creation as we transition into the new creation. When Jesus comes, he will judge the living and the dead. All people, whether living or dead, will be judged by Jesus Christ. Those people who have not entered into a covenant relationship with God through the work of Jesus on the cross will receive eternal rejection and punishment in hell, while those who are in Christ will receive eternal blessing and welcome into the fullness of life with God. So if you remember in the old covenant, there was this idea of blessings and cursings that happened at the end of Deuteronomy. When we go to judgment, it's an eternal situation of blessings and cursings that we enter into. Matthew 25 puts it this way. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you this way? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was in sick in prison and you did not look after me they will answer lord when did we see you this way he will reply truly i tell you whatever you did not do for one of these the least of these you did not do for me and they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life so this is a picture of what we call the great white throne judgment that we will all have to stand before jesus as he adjudicates whether or not we are in the covenant. And what we see described here is the fruit, um, that, that there was a, a visible manifestation of fruit in how we lived our lives, that we lived obediently, that we, as we are always saying on this channel, that we have, um, that we're obeying all of Jesus's commands. We're not saved by our works. But there is an expectation of fruit. There's an expectation that there will be um, obedience that will be manifest as a result of our faith. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's another great summary of the judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due 
or the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So here again, we see the adjudication of our judgment before Jesus. Now, this raises the question, should you be afraid of God's judgment? Well, it depends on which side you're on, the sheep or the goats. If you are unrepentant of your sins, if you reject the kingdom of God, if Jesus isn't, uh, if you haven't asked Jesus to become the boss or the king of your life, if you haven't turned away from your sins, there's still time. Uh, you can do that right now if you feel the, the Holy Spirit convicting you in your heart. Um, but until then, you should fear God's judgment. The wrath of God, it says in Romans chapter 1, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. But if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, that he received your punishment for sins in your place, then you do not need to fear God's judgment. The end of the book of Revelation puts it this way in Revelation chapter 20. I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So the first death is your physical death. And um, it's what it talks about that the sea um, and death and Hades, they gave up their dead. That's the first death. The second death is what we, in famil familiar terms, call hell. Um, here it's called the lake of fire. That's the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so far we've covered the first three events that we can expect when we transition to the new creation. This brings us to the fourth event that I think all historic Christians should be able to agree on when it comes to talking about this transitionary period from this age to the age to come. When Jesus returns to judge the earth, he will raise all the dead to bodily life. And we've already looked at a couple of scriptures. We're going to look at a few more. Along these lines, scripture tells us that although we have been tainted by sin, our bodies were originally created good. As we saw a couple weeks ago in the teaching, they, they have the image of God. They're endowed with great dignity. From the moment of our conception to our death, every human person should be cared for, protected, and loved. However, our faith as Christians also tells us that because of sin and death, these things now corrupt the world. My body is degenerating and will eventually die. But by the will of God, when I die, my soul will go to be, in, to be with the Lord, to be in his presence. 
eventually when Jesus returns, I will rise bodily from the dead. We read that in first Thessalonians chapter four, the wicked will receive eternal condemnation and the righteous will receive eternal life. So we want to think clearly about um, what's going to happen to us when we die, that we will go to judgment. We will first will be raised from the dead and then we will go to judgment. Okay. So I'm going to skip a few passages here, Bob. Um, Let's go to first Corinthians 15. While we're on the subject of the bodily resurrection, really the best place to go uh, to start that conversation is first Corinthians 15. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it would be good for you to read it because it is the most complete explanation of this issue. So I'm going to start here. Um, If Christ in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So in other words, the Christians who have died are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if if we believe in Jesus and then we just die anyways and nothing ever happens, we're foolish. We should be pitied for having such foolish beliefs. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, or since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. And he'll, when he hands over the kingdom of God, the father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So I want you to notice what's happening here. If you think back to what we just read in Revelation, you go to the great white throne judgment, you get the judgment, and then people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life go to the lake of fire and then the place of the dead and all of that goes to the lake of fire too. And so that is the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. And so Jesus is ruling and reigning, putting everything under his feet. He's going to hand the kingdom over to the father um, once that happens. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under his feet so that God may be all and in all. So we can expect that because Jesus has risen from the dead, we have the hope that one day we too will rise. Jesus is like the preview of coming attractions. It says there that he is the first fruits. This is vitally important for us to understand that because Jesus rose from the dead, that is the great hope that we too will rise. 
Um, and Paul tells us clearly here that because Jesus rose from the dead, um, if that historical fact is not true, then Christianity is no different, to put in my words, than wishing on a star. We are to be pitied. We are foolish because there is nothing to believe in. Our hope rests on the historical fact of Jesus rising from the dead to be true. And if Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. Now, if you remember back to our very first teaching, I said something. I said there are many stories of reality. Every religion has a story that explains the world and how we got here. The critical question is, is how do we know which story is true? Christianity answers that question very clearly. The short answer to that question when it comes to, you know, how do I know Christianity is true? It's because Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead as a historical fact, then you and me and every other person who claims they are a Christian are just fooling themselves. We're deceived. More than that, Paul says we are liars. So if you want to really think about how do I know which story is true, Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. So because Jesus rose from the dead, that's our hope that we too will rise. Okay, let's look at John 11 real quick. Now you might be wondering, what will our bodies be like when we rise from the dead? Well, here it says, um, it's an interesting story here of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, I'm going to scroll down here. He, um, Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he will rise in the in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So even though they're going to have the first death, okay, they will experience that first death. They will not experience the second death. They will live. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die that second death that Revelation 20 talks about. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. Yes, Lord, she, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So what is her proclamation of belief? That Jesus is the promised one. He's the Savior, and he has come into this physical realm. If we are true born-again Christians, then we will be renewed, healed, glorified. We will be resurrected, having a resurrected body patterned after the body of Jesus. This brings us to the fifth event that I think all historic Christians should be able to agree on uh, when it comes to talking about the, the end of this creation and the transition to the new creation. And that is this, from the great white throne, humans will go either to everlasting eternal fellowship with the triune God in the new heavens and the new earth, or they will go to everlasting punishment 
and separation from the triune God in the lake of fire. Now we read this long passage in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, so I won't reread that, but but that's what that was about. I'm going to turn the page though to Revelation chapter 21 and read about John's vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death now i i get it that you know it's hard to hear those those words it's it's to, to the idea of a loving god for some people um sending people to to torment in the fiery lake is is hard to think about um and i think that that's something for us as Christians to reflect deeply on it and to, to have our conscience, conscience sure about the eternal state, you know, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And that is what Christians have historically believed. And so when we think about these matters, we want to um, really study carefully what the scriptures say and not just go by the way of our own emotions especially on more difficult, tricky issues such as hell. So, Bob, uh, is there one more verse from Revelation 21? Okay, great. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives us light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring splendor to it. So, you know, notice how God, how Jesus is bringing everything, even the nations under his rule and authority. That's really the big picture of scripture. That's the big story. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever into it enter into it. So this is different than the Garden of Eden. We're not going back to the Garden of Eden. We're going to a better place. Garden of Eden was just a preview. It was a type or a shadow of the new heavens and the new earth of what was to come. And in this new creation, there will be no night. There will ne never be any possibility 
of wickedness. Um, nothing impure will ever enter it, into it, enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is different than than the creation than the creation in Eden. No longer will there be a curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This is what we have to look forward to. This is the end of the story. Um, what I want to draw your attention to there is when we go into that place of everlasting fellowship with God, we are in his presence. As I said in the very first uh, episode of this teaching series, Eden was beautiful. The Garden of Eden was beautiful. God made the man and the woman, and they had face-to-face fellowship. But what we will have in the new creation is even better because it will be eternal and there will be no possibility of losing that presence of losing that face-to-face fellowship with God. Now, what does it mean that we will reign forever and ever? I don't know. We will see how God writes that story, won't we? But this is what I mean. We have to be careful about saying that these are the events of the end of the world. That's not the end of the story. It's just this, this transition between this age and the age to come. All right, let me go back out to the comments. Nothing. Okay, great. So I, as I wrap all this up, I want to invite you to reflect on where we are now in God's story. And that the big picture of the Bible is about establishing the rule and reign of Jesus. Jesus is the creator. He's the savior and he's the king over everything. So when we come into God's family, we are becoming part of something that is far bigger than our personal salvation. It's far bigger than just merely accepting Jesus into our heart. We are becoming part of God's big plan to bring the reality of Jesus's reign on earth. And that friends is why we pray in the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus came, the end began. And so the framework for living in the now and the not yet, as we wait for the coming of Jesus, we ought to preach the reality that the King has come. That's the good news and invite everyone we know to come into a relationship with that King to make him the boss the king of their life, and teaching them to obey all of Jesus's commands. We ought to live holy lives as we wait for him to come. Okay, I'm going to put a bookmark in everything right there for now. We're going to pick it up next week. I've invited my friend and theologian, Ken Samples, to join me for a kind of a wrap-up discussion about these issues. We're going to talk about some of the trickier topics where Christians often disagree with each other about these events. We're going to talk about things like the millennium, the rapture, the tribulation, 
But in the meantime, I do want to commend to you Ken's very helpful short book called Christian Endgame. And it's a book you can get on Amazon. It's not thick. It's not a big commitment. It's very thin. But he does in that little book, um, very similar to what I have done in these teachings, is giving you kind of this mere eschatology approach and helping you wade through the sea of end times discussions. So again, that book is called Christian Endgame. I'm not getting any kickback for promoting it. Uh, Ken is my friend, but I do think the book is genuinely helpful. You can see it has a five-star rating on Amazon. I find the book very helpful. I just really appreciate his approach. So uh, look forward to seeing him next week on the podcast to kind of wrap that up. You aren't going to want to miss that discussion. And with that, I want to say God bless you and good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.